Welcome, everybody, to a Monday edition of Texans All Access, a back home in Houston edition of Texans All Access. John Harris alongside the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, I know this weekend uh, wasn't so great for you, but it had to feel good to be back home. No, it was it was good other than uh, <laughs> Sunday praying to the porcelain God session that I had an all day affair, Johnny. Uh, too many details to share. Sorry. Uh, but I feel great now. I feel much better. You know, it's funny when you feel really sick and it was a stomach bug, like a 24 hour thing, yeah. but really intense when you feel really bad and you start to feel a little bit better. It just feels so much better to be on the way up again. And, you know, everyone can relate to this. So I feel much better now and um, I'll be back in full swing tomorrow. I'm kind of, uh, you know, working uh, sort of undercover today. Yeah, no doubt. We will have for you later in the show, a little combine clearinghouse. We got so much great stuff from the combine that we, if we got to share it with you. So we're going to hear a little bit more from Dave McGinnis, who does the color next to our good friend, Mike Keith up in Tennessee coach. We call him coach because he's coached everywhere. He's coached with Jeff Fisher. He's been head coach, defense coordinator. I mean, you name it. He's been around. He's from Schneider, Texas. And I guess if you're from Texas, you probably say Schneider, Texas. So we're going to hear from Dave McGinnis, and we'll also have a little bit more with J.P. Shadrick, who we always have a blast talking to from Jaguars.com. He does college football games. He uh, had a chance to do the Iron Bowl this past year. And it was funny in our conversation, Mark, one thing that, that uh, J.P. didn't bring up with us that – I think is vital. The whole world changes. If Tank Bigsby, the running back for Auburn, does not go out of bounds late in that game. Alabama has no way of winning that game if Tank Bigsby stays in bounds. And the whole thing changes. Georgia's right. probably undefeated, and they still win the national championship. Maybe a different team gets in the playoff. The whole world changes with that. What about the Heisman? What yes, about the Heisman? Exactly. The Heisman changes. Maybe it goes to Aiden Hutchinson. The whole world changes. So, that was one thing we didn't get into with JP, but we'll get into plenty with JP Shadrick. But Mark, there's so much to happen this weekend. There's so much that's happened today. I just figured let's do a little, let's do a little gut reaction to what we have seen thus far. I'll start with the combine. And I'll start with Saturday. Six, six, 341 pound Jordan Davis ran a four. 7 8 40. He posted a 10 3 broad jump and he had a 32 inch vertical, I believe. Your gut reaction to seeing a man that large do the things that men a hundred pounds or more smaller can't do. Well, if you grade it on the curve, isn't that maybe the fastest time ever? Yes. Right? Pound for pound, it if you want to call it that. It's, it's one of the greatest athletic feats at the combine there's ever been. If you handicap this, and it happens in certain sports like sailboat racing with uh, non-one designs cruise boats, Johnny, I could go for hours on this, but I won't just to save everybody's <laughs> ears. Uh, you handicap them. This boat's faster than that one. Right. That, therefore, you have to beat them by an hour even after like a one-day race or whatever in order to win. So he could be a few, a few tenths of a second slower but be the fastest guy pound for pound. And that was remarkable to see. Johnny, you were telling me Thursday night, you were in the bowl. These times are ridiculous. And they were. Now, the unofficial yeah. times were off the charts. We had the 4-2-1, which didn't hold up. It was a 4-2-8. We saw a lot of really fast times. Officially, though, you tell me, you thought it was a fast track, and that could be the case, right? 
So these guys who choose to run at their pro day instead, would a fast track, if they thought it was a fast track, change their mind? I know they're not going to make the decision on the day of, but now I'm thinking next year's combine. Hey, if I think it's going to be a fast track, why don't I just run here? Because I could do it in front of everybody. I'm in prime time, whatever that's worth. Yeah. You know, I'm not getting any more NIL money, I think, <laughs> at least for the time being. But maybe I get a faster time on that track. Yeah, and you have it out of the way. Now, it's interesting because there are actually some pro days in the next few days. So if you want to buy a couple more days, that's fine. But some guys have to wait all the way to April uh, to do their, their pro day. So mm-hmm. I think it was Mike Gorsuch, who's the – he's the, the 40 guy. He's the scout from the Steelers who blows the whistle if a guy has faulted or whatever. He is – I mean, he's a, a 40-yard dash uh, demigod, if you will. I mean, he's just – he said to the guys, he had him mic'd up, and he said to the guys, look, run fast and get it out of the way. And then you don't have to run 40s for the rest of your life. Like, get, do it. And mm-hmm. you're right. It's hard to make that decision the day of. But, man, I, I saw it the first, uh, the first night. I'm watching Calvin Austin from Memphis, and I saw him run. To, I was like, wow. But they don't show the times of the bowl. So I had to look on my phone and watch the actual broadcast on my phone to see, oh, man, he just ran 4-3-2. But there were 12 DBs that ran sub 4-4. One of them is Tariq Woolen, who ran 4-2-8, I think, at six foot four, 205 pounds. Zion McCollum from out of same Houston State ran 4-3-3 at 6'2", 200 pounds, and just put on an absolute show. He ran a, a 6-4-8 three-cone drill, which is unbelievable so it the times that were coming out of there with guys that are just bigger stronger faster it's insane so it felt like it was a fast track watching it it really sort of proved out but the other thing mark with it jordan davis at 66341 ran a 478 his teammate Devontae wyatt is 304 pounds ran a 477 their teammate trevon walker went them one better at 272 pounds he ran a 451 and put on a show athletically. Linebackers, all three of them. Yes, three linebackers. The backup, Channing Tindall, ran 4-4-2. The backup Oof. with a 42-inch vertical. He was the backup to Quay Walker and Nicobe Dean. And at safety, Louis Cine ran a 4-3-7. That was the Georgia defense. I try to tell you midseason this defense is as good <laughs> as anything I've ever seen. I try to tell you that. You're like, no, come on. Like, Yes. Hang on a second. was ridiculous. You and Andre thought that they could give an NFL team a run for its money. That's exactly right. And it could have. I don't think so. But because I still say training, (laughs) uh, the amount of great athletes you have on one side of the ball, even the Texans offense, the way it struggled, I think would do pretty well against an offense, a defense like that. But that's besides the point, Johnny. One one little thing here. When the combine moved from the RCA Dome to Lucas Oil, I'm wondering if the times – didn't slow down, but didn't go up as much as they could from a year-to-year basis because with the Roger Bannister factor of bigger, stronger, yeah, faster yeah. every year, you yeah. wonder about those things because RCA Dome must have been a faster track than Lucas Oil Stadium, especially when it opened with that artificial turf we have right. now with the rubber right. tire particles. The RCA Dome was just outdoor carpeting on concrete, basically, yep. the old stuff, and I'm wondering if that was faster. Yeah, it's interesting to think back to – when Lucas Oil took over the combine, but I'm watching these times and I'm thinking these two, I mean, the thing about it was, is at least the visuals matched up. Like I'm watching the guy and I'm thinking I do this all the time. 
I try and figure out what the time is as I'm watching these guys. And there's sometimes I'm just like, whoa, that's a good time. And then, yep, there's four, three, eight, there's four, three, three. It was, there's some fast dudes uh, doing work. Baylor bears. Ooh, buddy. They got it done. Kalen Barnes ran a four, two, three, uh, the corner. Uh, you also had JT Woods who ran a four, three, eight, I believe it was. I mean, they smoked up the track. Tyquan Thornton, we saw run. Yeah. And unofficially it's four, two, one. It came out officially as four, two, eight, but they had three guys. It's the first time at the combine that three players from the same school went sub four, four. And that was Baylor at this combine. That's crazy. Johnny Woolen, where is he going? What round do you think? I think he's in the second round because I have some issues. I have some issues with on the field stuff. Like I, there's some stuff that he needs to clean up in his game. Mm -hmm. And I, every game that I saw him, Mark, he blew a coverage. I mean, he, he blew a coverage. And, you know, that's something that obviously you can't be doing. And when you get to a place, you'll get settled in. But it's hard. It is really hard to not just be enticed by those skills at six four four yeah. two eight. I mean, it's just ridiculous uh, what Tariq Woolen uh, was able to do. All right, let's go to something, not the combine. And because we live in the AFC South, I know you'll be able to have a gut reaction to this one, Mark. It's not earth shattering, but in our world, hmm, interesting. Indianapolis Colts tight end Jack Doyle has retired. Your gut reaction. Well, I, Jack Doyle hasn't been himself lately. I don't have the numbers in front of me. It's not like he was ever a terror, but he was that thorn in the side with a big 10-yard catch on third and seven, that kind of thing, damaging yep. your team's chances to win, holding out of the ball for the Colts, making plays. But I don't feel like he's been the huge factor uh, that he was earlier in his career. And these days, Johnny, with the way and when players are retiring, some players – it doesn't surprise me if anybody retires that they feel like they've made their money. And Doyle never broke the bank, but Doyle made some good money. Yep. And if he put it away, maybe he has some other plans for his future, his career, because these guys all retire as young men in a layman's sense. And good for him. Uh, you know, look, I don't feel like, oh, great. Now we can go get the Colts because Doyle's gone. It's not like that. Even Hilton going away is not going to make me feel that way. Now, if Jonathan Taylor decided to step away early, Michael <laughs> Pittman would be nice, too. We have something different going on, don't we? Yes, uh, very true. And by the way, um, Jonathan Taylor, 5'11", 226, ran 439 at the Combine. Brees Hall, who I've been telling everybody is RB1, 5'11", 217, ran 437 at the combine. JT had a 39, 36-inch vertical. Brees Hall had a 40-inch vertical. Yeah, I, you know, the Texans passed on him. I just hope we don't pass on a guy like Brees Hall. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but Jack Doyle said this. I thought this was interesting. I have a deep respect for the dedication and commitment it takes to be out there for your teammates at this time, my body is telling me that is a sacrifice I can no longer make. These guys are, like you said, Mark, they're, they're, they're reading their bodies, if you will, um, and understanding what their body is telling them. It's just, it's, I don't say it's nuts, but I, you know, guys said, Hey, I made my money. I made my impact. Ali Marpet, same thing. You know, we talked to Nelson Louise about that. I can't remember. We talked about that on the air or off the air, but we're talking about Ali Marpet, who is a made the pro bowl this year, won a ring. Mm -hmm. He just, had done enough and he was ready to walk away. And I, 
I tip my cap to those guys, man. It's unbelievable. All right, Mark, two players, actually both in the same division, the AFC North, have received the franchise tag. The Cleveland Browns franchised David Njoku, and the Cincinnati Bengals franchised Jesse Bates. One, not shocking. The other is a little bit of a head-scratcher. Mark got reaction to Njoku getting the tag in Cleveland and Bates getting the tag in Cincinnati. Which one are you scratching your head about, Njoku? Yes. Bates right. is a no-brainer. I mean, they had to bring Bates back. I mean, he's he's arguably the defense's – I don't even say it's arguable. Yeah, I think he's the defense's best player, and it's not close. It's he, it's DJ Reader, it's Logan Wilson. Uh, Trey Hendrickson, you could throw in that mix. But J- Jesse Bates, they had to bring him back. Njoku, I was a little surprised by that one. What's your gut reaction to it? I think Njoku, the numbers could be a lot better. And it's not like he's exploded. Look, we've seen him at times in the past where you thought this guy's going to be really unbelievable. And he hasn't approached the unbelievable status yet. And tight ends do make some money. So if you franchise him, I mean, that's a good chunk of change you're paying. Yeah, Johnny, I can't help but think that they feel like it was a not a throwaway year for Baker Mayfield, but a year with an asterisk because he played hurt so much. And there were times where he couldn't play. Remember Keenum getting that start. Yep. And then there were times where I thought he might have been able to sit. He might have been doing better for his team to sit yep. than to be out there, not himself. And maybe that Justin Reed a tackle attempt uh, was the one that really did it for him. And it started a sequence of events that led to an unhealthy season for him. I think a healthy Baker Mayfield, no surprise here, would do a lot better. And they want to see that. They feel like everybody's numbers are going to go up if Baker's healthy. And as far as people think, they got to move away from Baker Mayfield. Really? To what? Look around the league right now. People are desperate. People, teams are desperate for quarterbacks, right? The market of teams that are good to go, so to speak, that need quarterbacks it's strong here. It's a seller's market. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get traded and it's going to go for more than you would think as far as draft currency. Yep. And Garoppolo is in a good spot once he gets healthy, right? Uh, Mitchell Trubisky is going to get paid and people are going to say that's way too much money. But guess what? It's a seller's market. He's got clout right now. Yep. He's got something people want. He's an experienced quarterback who's actually been to the playoffs. So as far as Cleveland and Baker go, hey, I think they feel good about running it back this year and taking it from there and taking whatever hits them in the future. And I think a player like Njoku, his performance goes up with a healthier Baker. All right, the Texans over the weekend, I don't think we've seen an official release yet, but Texans signed Jimmy Morrissey to one-year contract. He was a restricted earnings free agent. And I believe Davion Davis was also one. They get deals signed for both. I know we didn't get to see Davion a lot. I have in college. Mark, your quick gut reaction to Texans making those two signings. All right. So, Jimmy, we saw start and play well, right? You liked him. Yeah. And we want to see more of Jimmy. We'll see how it goes at center and exactly how they shape it. I think you're going to get a lot of signings like this where, all right, so far we haven't gotten the major marquee names, except for John Weeks, uh, Tay Davis, people like that. But these are kind of guts of the roster players, at least for the 90 man and hopefully down to the 53 for them. And we'll see if we have that enlarged practice squad again going into 2022. I can't imagine why they wouldn't do that. It's just good for the league overall. Uh, Remember, when free agency gets started, and a week from now we'll be talking about all the leaks and reports and negotiations and everything, you're going to get some names that aren't going to bust the marquee. It's kind of like last year, but I think it'll go up a level, Johnny, as far as the names you know being on this team. They're not going to get the top flight guys because – 
I think they'll get good players, but they're not going to get the really expensive guys because they're not in that situation right now. They're going to build it through the draft. They have more picks this year. Let's hope for even more than they've got right now, and we'll take it from there. So I think this is just the start of it. Let's see it build. All right, Mark. I saved this story for last because this one is wild with a capital W. I've seen many report this. I think Adam Schefter was the first. The NFL has suspended Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley for the 2022 season for betting on games. Mm. And Schefter also tweeted, and there are a few other tweets to go along with this. He said multiple NFL teams reached out to the Falcons in recent weeks to inquire about trading for Ridley, and each time Atlanta declined to enter into any talks out of good faith, knowing the issues in store for their standout wide receiver per sources. Also, Ridley apparently placed parlay bets on NFL games using his cell phone, said Mike Garofalo. This is wild. He has been suspended for at least, at least a year. And apparently this happened when Ridley was away from the team on the non-football illness list. Mark, your gut reaction. Uh, gambling problems are a really serious thing. This is why the league makes Caesars and people like that post all of those gambling warning type messages, right? You saw the one with Peyton and Eli and their dad talking about it. This is a problem for a lot of people. And if before anyone stops me and says, Mark, how can you be sure Ridley has a problem? You know how I know? Because Ridley is an NFL player. And Johnny, they could not make it any more clear that we do not bet on games. You and I, with the Texans, yep. we get bombarded by messages, have to take training on it, sign off on it. We, us, everybody in the business office, people in human resources cannot bet on NFL games, no matter how legal it is anywhere. It does not and should not happen. And Johnny, he's one of these guys who makes two, three million a year. He's not one of these receivers who makes 10, 15. Not that that would make a difference, but if he's trying to make a few extra bucks, there are probably better ways of doing it. And I feel, I don't want to say I feel bad for him, but I think he's got a problem. And obviously, it's going to cost him even more money now. Yeah, I think you're you're dead on with that. <laughs> People are tweeting various things that uh, Calvin Ridley has tweeted out. He had some issues at the end of the year. Didn't really know what those were, but you said it. Dan Graziano put a tweet out. He said, this is the portion of the NFL gambling policy that would seem to govern the Calvin Ridley situation. No gray area here whatsoever. And that's exactly, absolutely dead on. There's no gray area when it comes to, to gambling and gambling on NFL games. Now, there might, <laughs> there might be a few guys that are now going, uh, oh, boy. Um, you. <laughs> there have been five players that have been suspended for gambling, two famously in 1963, Alex Karras and Paul Horning. Horning, I think, was coming off an MVP year, the Packers. They sat out a year, Arch Leister, that was a long-known one. Josh Shaw was a corner with, the U- with USC – he was suspended in 2019. Calvin Ridley has been suspended for 2022. At a minimum, he can apply for reinstatement in February. The Falcons apparently did know and were alerted to it. They worked with the NFL. That's why they were, you know, all those trade offers. They were, you know, just turned them down. Nobody other than the Falcons knew in the NFL. So uh, Ridley out for a year. That does not help Arthur Smith in the slightest, but um my there's a part of me in which my heart goes out to Calvin Ridley because I think you're right. I think he has an issue 
and it's a matter of getting that corrected. We saw what that did to Arch Schleister, and it was never conquered. And Arch Schleister ended up going to prison for many, many years for, for that and other things. So hopefully Calvin Ridley can get back uh, walking the straight and narrow, if you will. But that is a big one because Calvin Ridley is a Pro Bowl-type receiver there in Atlanta and was wide receiver one when Julio Jones was traded to the Tennessee Titans. And part of the reason that Atlanta felt good about trading Julio or felt okay about trading it was because they had Ridley. Well, now they don't have Ridley. Now they don't have Julio. And they're going to be in a world of hurt. So this is going to be an interesting one to watch, no doubt. Mark and I had a chance at Combine to catch up with one of the most Texian Texans you're ever going to find. Coach McGinnis, Dave McGinnis, is going to talk Schneider, Texas, TCU, and more next on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Friday night, we got back from the Combine, and I was leaving uh, Bush Airport and just got on the Beltway, and I thought, man, it is good to be home and, well, I second that even more right now. On a Monday, doing Texans All Access from right here in Houston feels good. State of Texas is awesome. You know who also feels that way? It's Tennessee Titans game analyst, former defensive coordinator, longtime coach Dave McInnes. I had more fun talking with Coach. We had a blast. We had a blast not only talking with Coach, but just talking with everybody that we did at the Combine. But Coach was fantastic, and there were so many different things we were able to hit. And when you're at the combine and you got the mics rolling, you just roll. Some of it ends up on the cutting room floor, but we didn't want to waste it. So here's a little combine clearinghouse with our new good friend, Dave McInnes from the Tennessee Titans, talking about being a Texan, coaching in Texas, in this state. Snyder, Texas, Dave McInnes. Here we go. Okay, joining us at the NFL Scouting Combine right now, Coach Dave McGinnis does color commentary for the Tennessee Titans, former Cardinals head coach, coached in a lot of places, including TCU. Coach, you're an alum of TCU. You're a Texan from Snyder. Welcome to the show. Well, Mark, thank you very much. It's great to be on with with, with the Houston Texans. You know, I, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. Coach, well, the, yeah. the Lovey Smith has talked about this because we, you know, Big Sandy. He's from Big Sandy. That's always – East uh, Texas. Yeah, East Texas. There's something about – not only being from Texas, but also playing high school ball in Texas. It's probably hard to encapsulate. I know people ask me that a lot because I played my high school ball there. What does it mean to have grown up in Texas, to have coached in Texas, to have played your high school ball in Texas? Well, it's an essential part of your life growing up. You know, I grew up in Snyder, Texas. is a small town, 11,151, 150 now that I'm sitting here with y'all. <laughs> uh, and and the, the thing about it is, is, is it's just it's just in your DNA growing up. If yeah. you're going to be an athlete, you know, you know, a, a male athlete in, in West Texas or in Texas, you're going to play football if if you're able to. And it, it, it meant everything. The other thing is that, that was really important that that I think people don't understand sometimes when I played, when you start out in youth football, the high school coach in our small town controlled everything football wise yeah. so you are running the same system from eight years old until you get you leave at 18 yeah and so they are able to find out pretty quick you know you know what this kid you know mark this looks like this this dude this dude can play safety and receiver force are they 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 push you into the areas that you're going to excel in the best and then you work that that way the whole time and then plus everything is focused on it 
I mean, and that, it, it's so important. You've got so much support. Now, not only from your own family. I grew up in a single-family household. So, you know, my high school coach and my, my junior high coaches and all my coaches, those were my father figures yeah. growing up. But you've got such a, a great community support there with what you're doing. And then by the time, I mean, you know, I had a full ride to TCU, was recruited by all the Southwest Conference schools. But when you get – be able to get to college, you you have a work ethic. Yep. You know how important it is. You know, so it's not a shock to you. But you grow up with it. You did the same thing. You just grow up with it. It's in the DNA of your city, especially your smaller towns in West Texas and in East Texas, like Big Sandy. We have so much to talk about, Coach Dave McGinnis, with us. All right, let's start here. You mentioned Southwest Conference. What are your thoughts now on all of this college football? The way the conferences have blown up, blown apart, gotten back together in various ways. You know, I do a show now uh, for 20 weeks uh, during the season called Coach to Coach with Doug Matthews, who's a longtime uh, uh, coordinator and coach at, you know, for Philip Fulmer there at the University of Tennessee. And we just cover, you know, we cover collegiate football, but the Southeastern Conference mostly. To your question, Mark, the Southeastern Conference and what's going on with these power conferences, this is where it's going. Because now with the NIL and everything that's coming in, it's so much different when we were going to, you know, when we were going to school, and mm-hmm. it's so much different now. It is a different game. I, I I coached in major college for 13 years. I recruited. I recruited all across the country. But this thing that's going on now, it's completely different. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's completely different. And so what you've got to understand, I mean, you guys understand it, and I think your listeners do too, is it's about money. And it's about the television money, and it's about exposure. You know, when I was uh, going to school at the Southwestern Conference, you know, when you played the University of Texas in the Southwestern Conference, you'd probably be on television that week. Or when you played Arkansas, because Arkansas under under Coach Broyles was rolling big at that time. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the time, there was no television for it. Now – Every game is on television consistently. And so these, these, these power conferences that are getting together and these alliances that are coming together now in collegiate football, it, it's for two things. It's for money and it's for survival. You mentioned Southwest Conference, Coach. It's, it's so funny to think back. I got to Texas in 1983, like right in the midst of 80s college football recruiting. And it was nuts. And you hear all the stories of Eric Dickerson and what went on with him and all the different stories. Do you have a recruiting story that stands out over the years, uh, maybe more so than any other as you were recruiting? To well, I, I, I was, you know, I was I was recruiting during that, you know, during during that era. I graduated yeah. from TCU in 1973 and then and then and then in 73 and 74, I was a graduate assistant down there and then went back in 78 as an assistant coach. And so, yes, I mean, I was recruiting during that time and it was it was a it was a different world because here's the thing. The NIL now, mm-hmm. those NILs, you know, yeah, are, yeah. you know, where you're able to do that. Yeah. Well, the NIL existed back then too, but it just wasn't. <laughs> it just wasn't organized on a uni- right. on a uni- right. on a universal scale. Right. But absolutely, the 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 best recruiting stories I have, guys. I recruited. I I would recruit all of the inner city schools across the country. I recruited oh, wow. all the inner city schools in Houston, in New Orleans, in Dallas, in Chicago. You know, I was in Cabrini Green. I was in the Robert yeah. Taylor Homes. You know, I did all all of those. You know, to be able to. When I first came to TCU. I graduated from high school in 1969. There were two African-American athletes in the Southwestern Conference. Wow. Lindsey Cole was the receiver at TCU, and Jerry Levias was at SMU. 
my recruiting class, uh, I was in the same freshman class as Raymond Rhodes. Ray Rhodes and I, from, yeah. he's from Mahia, Texas. We were the, you know, and there were, there were, they, had, we brought, they brought in seven black athletes then. That was the most anybody had ever brought in as a group at that time you know, to the, to the Southwestern Conference. And so when I started coaching and, you know, they, then it was starting to expand, I, I went to all the inner city schools. And the thing that, that I saw there is, is, first of all, you know, a lot of them don't have the resources back then, didn't have, have the resources. You know, there was a lot of tape not available. And the, yeah. tape, uh, the tape then was, was 16, mil, I mean, 16 millimeter on a roll. But sometimes, no, sometimes, guys, they didn't have the finances to have 16 millimeters, so they had the 8 millimeter. Right. You know, roles. And sometimes they didn't have that. So what I would do is, is, is make it to, to all of these schools across the country during basketball season to watch guys because they all played the, the, great, the best athletes at school, played yeah. everything, and then be down there during track season. And every now and then, you know, uh, outside, the, outside the rules, but there were no rules, you know, I would, I would always carry – you guys are probably old enough, and some of your listeners are probably old enough to remember. You, you know the, the – and they still use them, the carpenter rules that have hinges on them that you can unhinge. Do you know what that is? Both of you are looking at me, you know, like a dog looking at a typewriter. You know uh, – <laughs> Is that uh, it, it, they have hinges on them? They fold uh, up about this big, but you can unhinge them to measure. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd carry that in my briefcase, gotcha. and I'd carry some. I would carry some gymnast chalk with me, and so you know, the, sooner or later, I'd get them up. You know, in, in the gymnasium. You know, either by themselves or somewhere with a high wall. Yeah. I said, look, hey, just chalk up your hand for me. Reach up and touch it, and now chalk <laughs> it up again and reach up. Bam. Oh my you, gosh. You know, and, and and check and check a vertical jump because yeah. sometimes you didn't have enough film. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and so you know, got some got. Got players like that, you know. Got players like that, you know, to, to some places. But I tell you, it really honed my evaluation skills, sure. you know, to be able just to, yeah. to look at athletes. And then, you know, the parents trusted me because I was always very honest with them and went in and told them. And you know, where I was co- was coaching was a different from where they totally lived, but world, yeah. it also gave them a chance to. So I've got a lot of stories, but that one right there, yeah. you know, sticks out because we just did what we had to do. Dave McGinnis joining us. Does color commentary for Titans Radio, former NFL coach, TCU alum. Why coach in the NFL? Because you start in college. What drew you to the National Football League? You know, I, when I went to Missouri, Vince Tobin was the defensive coordinator. And then Vince Tobin, he, you know, Bill Tobin, who put together all those great teams, and who's Duke Tobin's father, uh, you know, that, that now is, is, is running the Bengals right. personnel. And Bill Tobin's still working with Duke there. Anyway, he and two other scouts uh, – Jim Finks, uh, uh, Bill Tobin, and Jim Palmer, they put together all of those great early 80s Bears teams. Mm. Three scouts. They had six coaches, three scouts. Wow, three okay. scouts. <laughs> they put together all of those great Bears teams, all right? And so, you know, uh, Vince Tobin, his younger brother, was a defensive coordinator at the University of Missouri when I went in 1975, okay, in 1975. And then he left and went to the Canadian League. And then he left and went with Jim Mora to the uh, uh, Baltimore Philadelphia Stars in the USFL. They won it, you know, a couple of years. And, of course, then, you know, I left Missouri, went went to Indiana State, you know, was recruiting there. I was there, you know, when Larry Bird was there. So we had a lot of recruiting oh, wow. money because Larry Bird was there. <laughs> yeah. And I could get kids to visit, not because they loved Indiana State, but because I said, hey, you want to come visit this weekend? Larry Bird's playing. We're playing <laughs> Wichita State. And load the plane up and bring them up, you know. So anyway, and then and then from there, uh, from Indiana State, went back to TCU, TCU to Kansas State. So I'm coaching and, you know, I'm coaching, recruiting in college. Well, Vince Tobin, uh, when – Jim Mora got the New Orleans job. Vince was going to go with him down there, 
All right. And then Buddy Ryan leaves the Bears and goes and takes the head job at Philly. All right. Well, Bill Tobin is the is the general manager, you know, and Ditka's the head coach. And so Ditka's looking for a coordinator, and he'd had his eye on, you know, some people. And But, you know, Vince Tobin, very successful. So he goes in there and interviews and gets the job. I don't even know he's up there. Okay. I don't, I don't have any idea that he's, that he's up there. Well, I'm in Dallas recruiting. I get a call, and he says, hey, look. I, 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 don't, I know what you're doing right now. He said, but w- would you be interested in – because I thought he'd gone to New Orleans with Jim Mora. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had, you know, and he said, uh, I know there's a linebacker job that I think you'd be interested in if you'd like to interview. Uh, I said, well, who is it with? He says, is it with the Bears? I said, Baylor? I said, why do I want to go to Baylor? I said, <laughs> I, he, he said, no. Uh, <laughs> Different Bears. Coach Mack, the Chicago Bears. I said, Yeah. And so, anyway, I went up there, and, and it, it was five guys. I was the only one. I was the youngest by far, 32 years old. I mean, I had, knew nothing. And the and uh, Ditka interviewed myself and four other guys that were in the league. You know, and so I figured I just wanted to go up there to interview because this was the Super Bowl Shuffle Bears. And, you know, I, I just wanted the opportunity mm-hmm. to interview and the experience of interviewing. And so, you know, I met with, went, met with Mike Ditka, and he said, can you stay the night? And I said, sure. And so I did, you know, went out to dinner. was going, you know, this was a cool thing. And so I was sitting with Vince Tobin in his office, and uh, Mike Ditka's secretary, her name was Mary Albright, and she came in and said, uh, Coach McGinnis, uh, uh, Coach Ditka would like to see you. So I figured, you know, he'd say, hey, kid, enjoyed it. Called me kid because I guess that's what George Hallis always called him. Yeah. So anybody younger, he said, uh, you know, so he, he called me and said, I said, kid, do you want this job? And I went, well, yes, sir. <laughs> and he said, okay, you got it. He said, I want you to remember one, two things. You're the coach. They're the players. I've got your back. Now go to work. Wow. And so then I'm dropped in a room with Mike Singletary and Otis Wilson and Wilbur Marshall and Al Harris and (laughs) Ron Rivera. And, you know, and so here I go. And really, guys, seriously, and I'm not one to, you know, I I was a great recruiter. You know, was I X and O guru? No, not at that time. But then I had to be the defense. We only had, I I was the eighth coach on the staff. Ditka had to give me one of his lockers in a really small place in Hallis Hall, an old one on the campus of Lake Forest, so I'd have a place to dress. And so, but I was a defensive quality control and the linebacker coach. And wow. so, and so I, you know, I was there 24-7 in the building. You know, I had a place in Lake Forest about two blocks from the, and so I lived in the building. But I got a, I got a, a, a Ph.D. in NFL football. Because late at night, I'd be up there with, you know, Dick Stanfield, you know, God rest his soul, you know, the Hall of Fame offensive lineman was the offensive line coach, Johnny Rowland, you know, Ed Hughes. These guys are legendary coaches in the National Football League. And I would sit in their offensive meetings just to learn, to learn protections, to learn what, you know. And then I would, you know, I'd, I've got, I've still got my, I've still got my 86 Bears notebook that I did that I, you know, all by hand that, you know, you drew and then maybe right. you grafted off. And, and so, I mean, so for two years, I mean, I, I, that was a kind of experience that I gained up there doing that. And I really knew nothing. But after the first year, we go 14 and two. And I go, what's so hard about the league? I mean, <laughs> you know, it, what? and then in the off season, I still don't know anything. I'm lecturing all over the country on linebacker play, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm some guru with it. And First question was, you know, they'd always say, Coach Mack, what's, this, what's the key to this? What's the key to being able to? I said, get Mike Singletary, get Otis Wilson. <laughs> anyway, that's how it started. And 36 years later, here I am, still in the league. Coach, you coached for a former NFL player in Mike Ditka. 
you now cover a former NFL player as a head coach in Tennessee and Mike Vrabel. Do you see any similarities between Mike and and Mike? Very insightful question, and the answer is yes. And that's the first thing I did, you know, when Mike Keith asked me to come back and do this because I still had another year on my contract in L.A. Uh, And, I, you know, when Jeff Fisher got let go of the Rams, I still had another year out there, and I was deciding what I wanted to do, and Mike Keith called me. And so, you know, when I I came in – I'd been there eight years with Jeff Fisher. I knew Nashville. I loved Nashville. But when Mike Vrabel was hired, I went, okay, I've seen this before. A lot of similarities. And a lot of similarities because of this. Not only a former player, a former player who did it at a high level, but a, but a former player who really got it on all levels. Yeah. Mike Ditka, I, you know, if, if you never were around Mike Ditka, you know, the persona is one thing. The, the, the human being is another. And he was the best human being in the world. Oh, yeah, Coach Ditka could lose his mind on his sideline. But when I heard that from Coach McKinnis, I've actually heard that from a couple people that say that about uh, Coach Ditka and the Bears. That would have been a fun group to be a part of. And a big thanks to Dave McKinnis for joining us. All right, coming up next, J.P. Shadrick from Jaguars.com. He also calls games for the Touchdown USA Radio Network in a college perspective. We had a great time with J.P. Here's what we missed from him back at the Combine next on Texas All Access. Next on Texas All Access. Next on Texas. We got one final segment this Monday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and one of our good friends is J.P. Shadrick. We caught up with him in Indianapolis to talk about the Jags and, well, many other things. Here's that portion you didn't hear last week. It's Combine Clearinghouse right here on a Monday All Access. J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com, joining us on Texans Radio. We talked to Matt Taylor <laughs> about the final game <laughs> of the regular season. I heard season. about that. Yeah, <laughs> and it was a heck of a conversation. And from your perspective, what was that game like? Because you might not be expecting that going in, even from your side of things. Uh, they were like 15-point underdogs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, if you're into that. you know. So, no, there wasn't really a chance. There's always a chance, but it's like, come on. From the Jaguars' perspective, I think I've been there. Ten, I've been there ten seasons now, and there are m- many weeks, most weeks, where you have a pretty good idea on Friday at the end of the week that it's not going to go so well on Sunday. Yes, it's the NFL. There's parity, but the way this thing has gone with personnel and players leaving, you're just outgunned a lot of weeks. That was the feeling going into that game because they had everything on the line at Indy. They had to win the game. They could have backed in another way, but if they win the game, they're in. And either it proved to be too much pressure on the Colts, which I don't know if I buy that, or the Jags just played out of their mind that day. Maybe it's a little bit of both. And it just kind of worked out. It was the last game. It was the interim head coach. Hey, let's finish on a good note. Trevor Rowley and the troops. All that together, and they, they played their best game of the season. So, uh, you know, from the Colts' perspective, I, I don't. <laughs> that's got to be so frustrating to go down there and lose like that, though. Absolutely, JP. Earlier on Friday, Adam Schefter tweeted that Amari Cooper is likely to be released by the Dallas Cowboys before the league year. What's it cost? Well, you answered the question, I suppose. <laughs> at that point, I He's, mean, that's the thing. What's it going to cost? It, I mean, you guys have the cap room. 
plenty. Yeah, it's what I don't know exactly what it is. About seven. Would that be the type of guy you could see as a number one to put alongside Marvin Allen and give Trevor some opportunities, as long as it's not so over the top from a financial perspective? He'd be by far by far the best and most notable receiver on the roster. Sure. Um, is he? Would it interest you? I'm interested. Yeah, I'm. I'm very interested. We haven't had a guy like that around there in a long time. I mean, you got to remember they had. Um, um, Alan Hearns and Alan Robinson together. Hearns right. was an undrafted guy. Yeah. Robinson was a second-round uh, pick. You know, they had the, that duo together. But even then, that wasn't, you know, they, they were good, and they had a good year together. They both had 1,000 yards one season. But that still just didn't have that extra step. Well, Amari's got that extra little thing. A little something. A little yeah. something extra, right? Yeah. And I know he's been at it for a little while now. What year is it? Year eight? Boy, it's been a little while, yeah. So that that might be the one little concerning thing, just how big he is and all that. But, yeah, why not? Go for it. If, I don't, again, what's it going to cost? Right. Is it going to cost me 19 Eh, I don't know. Mm. All right, He's got well, a lot of other needs, too. All right, you guys can make that deal later, <laughs> and I don't know if you have the authority to do so. Yeah, I don't think so. J.P. Shadrick, Jaguars.com, joining us. All right, so – what about your thoughts on the Colts and what they should do at quarterback, what they will do at quarterback? What are you thinking as a Jaguar? Oh, keep Carson Wentz around. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, that, Come nice. on. Yeah. Right. Let, let, it run, let it ride. That was our action. Cool. Let it ride. But, you know, in all seriousness, guys, there is a great lack of elite quarterback talent, and this is no headline, in the league, and a lot of teams in search of maybe not elite, but at least uh, a well above average quarterback play – and he was giving them that for a while. His record's I, good, too. Like, it's the weird thing. It's just the way it ended was so bad. The loss to you, the loss to the Raiders the week before. And who are they going to get? I don't know what they're going to do. I feel like behind closed doors there's a lot more going on there. And, again, we always, we always think about football, and we think about most of the time, we think about it from a, a coach and GM making decisions situation, and maybe it goes higher than that. I mean – Jerry Jones in Dallas, if he doesn't – well, he's also the GM too. But, you know, (laughs) who's to say that management – and by management, I mean ownership – is not happy with Carson. Maybe that's that's part of it. Who knows? But the guy was 27-7, and 27 TDs, seven interceptions last year. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like it was a total collapse, but that game in Jacksonville left a stain. It left a stain on the game in a bad way. Remember they had a big, you know, come-to-Jesus meeting right after that game. They all got back home. That was reported that – uh, Mr. Ursay was like, hey, fellas, you'll need to come over here. And they sat in that room for hours on end. I mean, that I don't think re- that rarely happens uh, many places, yeah. especially here in Indianapolis. So, uh, you know, yeah, it, it does feel like change is coming in Indy, though. Let's put it that way. Can't disagree with the man. That's J.P. Shadrick of Jaguars.com. Big thanks to JP, to Coach McInnes, to Mark, to all of you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans.